0: What's up, it's Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Thanks for listening to the Under the Hood podcast presented by Coors Light. Stay inside and buy your Coors Light online. Find out how at get.coorslight.com. Coors Light, take time to chill
1: is under the hood this is me. under the hood podcasts are available now on the all-new espn chicago app available on your device now this is espn 1000 chicago's home for sports
0: there's always news when it comes to the nfl and the bears and that's why we turn to jeff dickerson who covers the bears for nfl nation here on espn 1000 and of course find his columns and his writings on espn.com he joins us here on Under the Hood. Hello, J.D.
1: Great to be with you, my friend, as always.
0: Uh, so here it's, it's what we knew, right? We knew when Ryan Pace continued to avoid your questions regarding uh, a little bit extra for Trubisky another year. Uh, you knew it wasn't going to happen. So Pace's decision didn't surprise you much, did it?
1: No, I really don't think so. I think it would have been a huge surprise if they exercised the fifth-year option. I mean, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. For them to do this, you know, it's $24.8 million. It's only guaranteed for injury. Let's not forget, I mean, this guy has been injured several times now, Jonathan, in just a couple of years in the NFL. So to say that it's an injury-proof thing uh, is probably not really looking at his history, Trubisky's history. And, you know, they could always re-sign him if they want. It doesn't mean that, just so everyone understands, just because you decline the fifth-year option doesn't mean that after this season if they want to that they couldn't bring Trubisky back I mean the best case scenario for Ryan Pace Jonathan as we all know is for Trubisky to somehow catch fire this year play great you know lead the Bears to the playoffs and then he would have no trouble offering him a longer term extension but I think for the short term the fifth year option just did not make a lot of sense so no I'm not sure why he wouldn't answer the question. I mean, I thought it was mm-hmm. kind of silly, but whatever. I mean, that is what it is. But but no, I think not exercising that option is the right thing, but also understanding that it doesn't necessarily mean for sure that time in Chicago is through.
0: What percentage of Pace's decision-making is bad luck versus bad management?
1: You know, my friend, we make our own luck in mm-hmm. life. I'm sorry to say that. I think uh, certainly, you know, look, there are certain things in life that are out of your control, okay? There's sometimes you're just going to have bad luck, and no matter how hard you try and you fight, it's, it's just not going to go your way, okay? But I would say more times than not, not really about luck. It's about solid decision-making, solid evaluation. I mean, yes, you will certainly, at some some point, you'll get unlucky. I get that. There's an injury you're not expecting, A guy goes down, but usually if that happens, there have been a few things preceding it. So I think as a GM, you can't rely on luck. Yeah, you need it, but you got to rely on your skills and your proper evaluation. So if people want to just use uh, for any executive in sports that they're just unlucky, I I would say that's usually a loser's lament. I'm sure you agree
0: with me on that. Absolutely, absolutely. I just, you know, it's it goes back to Kevin White. It's Trubisky. It's uh, Leonard Floyd. It's just you're always going to have some swing and misses when you are in this position. But you can't do it in, on high profile picks in your draft and in free agency, Jeff. And so that's that's the whole thing with pace. I'm not really caught up in the personality because when people ask me like, "What's up with pace?" I go, "Well, he's with the he was with the Saints." That's how they. That's how they act on it. They're not that great with the media. They're pretty stern, uh, so he's never going to give you a lot. So that. So his demeanor doesn't surprise me. But what I'm focused on is: Are you connecting on your top draft picks? Are they bearing fruit? Are they giving you production? And the answer to that question, for the most part, is no. Outside of Roquan Smith and a few others.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, thing too, with pace. Um, you know, I don't find his demeanor to be bad at all. I mean, he is. Uh great to talk to I just kind of I'm not sure if people care about this but it would be nice to have him a little more accessible because when you do talk to him now look he might not answer the questions sometimes you want him to but it's never done in like a gruff or rude way I think he's actually very a very enjoyable guy to talk to but um yes you you are judged on your draft picks and you know we've said this before and I just again it's worth repeating you know, when you have a chance to draft in the top ten for four consecutive years and three of those picks, you know, aren't, aren't happening, and one of them is entering his third year, but, you know, coming off an injury and Roquan had some issues last season, that's not how you build a consistent winner. If you go back and you look at the Colts under Bill Polian, mm-hmm. look, at, look at early on, I'm not talking about later, look at early on, look at the first-round picks in Indianapolis, whether it was Peyton Manning or Edger and James or Marvin Harrison or Reggie Wayne, right? I mean, that's how you build a perennial powerhouse. And they were, and those were all first round picks. And boom, you hit on all of them. When, you're, when your hit rate in the first round is what it is for the Bears and their top 10 picks, it it's hard to accept that, and it's hard to deal with that. So, so I think this is a great, you know, huge year for everyone in the organization. I think if the Bears can, can get things steady here and the quarterback comes in here and Foles plays well, or maybe it's Trubisky, uh, and these draft picks like a Cole Komet, a Jalen Johnson, they start right away. They, they make big div, pay big dividends right away. And some of these other younger players start to develop. Hey, you know what? They could be in okay shape, but a lot of things have to go right for them to be anything more than than really an 8-and-8 team right now.
0: Pace is okay, but he's not like Phil Emery with the granny glasses, giving you his thoughts on life and stuff. That's what Uh, I enjoy. Well, you know,
1: so there's uh, there's two tales to that one. Um, (laughs) Yes, uh, you will not receive an email at 10 o'clock on a Friday night questioning why you aren't considering John Bostic to be one of the greatest Lions backers in Bears history. You won't get those mm-hmm. uh, and Those were, were quite entertaining, but as uh, uh, far ends up like Pace is isn't going to yell at you. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you're not going to get called out of the golf cart and be driven around and lecture. I mean, you know, Phil was so successful. I, I love the guy, you know, personally, I'm sorry. I didn't work out for him here. Obviously there were a lot of uh, bad decisions, but um, you know, you take the good, you take the bad. You know, there's, a, there's a little bit of, uh, you know, that can go either way with those.
0: Uh, Blair from the Facts of Life with us as we talk Bears on ESPN <laughs> 1000 and the brand-new ESPN Chicago app. So uh, we need a refresher, J.D., regarding the hierarchy when it comes to the, to big Bears decisions. You know, it's going to come down to Trubisky and Nick Foles' I don't know who's going to start or who's going to be able to be the backup. I don't know how this is all going to materialize, but does Matt Nagy, will he have full autonomy on the decision from the beginning all the way through the process for the quarterback?
1: I would say at this point I think that he has to have full autonomy, and he's got to make that call. Now, was that the case last year or the first year? I I think that's a little more muddled and I would think you know, there might be a little more influence coming from above. But I think right now, I mean, the the key is, is them getting the right quarterback in there. That's going to win games for them and run this offense the way it has to be run. You just can't worry about feelings anymore. Okay. The Mitch thing happened. Yeah. We still talk about it. And every time you see Mahomes or Watson, you're like, Oh my gosh, what happened? But it's over with right now. You got to move on. You got to, you got to put yourself in position to get back in the playoffs. Because if you don't make the playoffs, then it doesn't matter. Then then everyone's going to be vulnerable, I think, for, for some changes here. So this should be the head coach's decision. I really think for the most part it's going to be. I think Nick Foles is the head coach's guy. I mean, I'm saying that he's here because the head coach believes in him and he's the quarterback that they prioritize getting that deal done with Jacksonville. So now that you've got him here and – it's got to be Nagy. With, I'm sure he will collaborate with his coaches. So let's not put it all on just the head coach, Jonathan. I think the offensive coordinator, the new quarterback's coach, you know, maybe the passing. I mean, I think everyone's going to have a say. But I think ultimately, as the head coach, it's got to be Matt Nagy's decision because it's his offense and he knows best what he needs to run it the right way.
0: An underrated piece by you amongst the other NFL Nation writers – is the player that benefited the most through this draft, and you chose Deion Bush because clearly the Bears could have went safety and had Grant Delpit, who I think, Jeff, as an SEC guy, you know, I'm a big SEC fan. I saw Grant Delpit at LSU. He is a, a really he is a really strong player at that position. Um, Matt Bowen. He preferred uh, Antoine Winfield. He thinks on tape that he's even better. But they went back to back after the Comet pick by the Bears. So, but you had a choice there. Delpin and Winfield are the younger guys that I think would be productive. But Dion Bush, he's safe for right now.
1: Well, and then they shot. No, that was that came out before they signed uh, Sean Gibson. Well, so I mean, yeah. But no, I thought I still think Dion Bush has a chance here. I mean, Sean Gibson was injured some last year. Uh, with the Texans. Remember, he lasted just one year on that big deal. I would say Gibson, though, right now is the guy. I think he's with uh, Eddie Jackson because of the money. Uh, but certainly, you know, after the draft, or after the draft, you know, sometimes we do these things uh, like a weekend fan. Oh. Uh, they're doomed, you know. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, just a uh, moment. <laughs> well, I got now. That was a while ago. But, uh, yeah, at, at that point, it looked good for Deion Bush. He still has a chance. He's going to be a quality reserve, and he'll be the next guy probably up. Uh, but I think Deshaun Gibson, given the money, certainly in the, in the history, is uh, is going to be your guy there. And then, you know, we'll talk with him. And also Ted Ginn Jr. are going to have conference calls this week. You know, he's got a great chance, too, to, to make this team and uh, and find himself a role. But, you know, and, and people ask me about this a lot, and I want to, again, kind of clarify. Like, a Ted Ginn's a great signing sure. if you add him to a very effective offense. Like, I don't think it's fair for Ted Ginn to say, hey, Ted, you've got to do all of this. Like Cordell Patterson, for example, right? Like, you know, he would pick his spots occasionally on offense, but he's not someone that you're going to say, go win me the game with 10 catches for 100 yards. That's just not what he does. He's a guy that can augment what you would already have in place. But if the the top guys aren't doing what they got to do, then those luxury signings are less and less effective. You know, so, I mean, this is more about quarterback. Allen Robinson had a great year last year. Hope he has a great year this year. they got to find you know more consistency from their two and their three receivers. Um, so Ted Ginn maybe could be that, that three. Who, who knows? But I just don't think you want to ask too much of him because in spot, I think he could be very effective, even at his age. He was very fast last year watching those games he played with the Saints.
0: I can't wait to see Ted Ginn get in the end zone, do that little salsa dance. Oh, wait, that's another aging receiver the Bears picked up a few years ago. Sorry about that. Um. Yeah,
1: yeah, that yeah, yeah, again, um, you know, I mean the the older players uh I sometimes don't don't work out quite yeah. as well. Uh um, yeah. you know, I, I covered uh, you know, Victor Cruz and mm-hmm. the Jared Allens of the world and things of that nature. But um Yeah, you know, well just uh do where it takes you. Do where it takes you.
0: No, it's fine. It's fine. I I just I I mean, <laughs> listen. Listen, you, you have two receivers, or one and a half, or one and three quarters wide receivers on this, on this roster. And there's question marks on some of these other ones. So bring in another guy. I think at 35, you still do special teams. I mean, even though he's got, he's got a number of punt return uh, yards and a lot of touchdowns. But, you know, just see what happens. What can you do?
1: And that's the motto, my friend. That's the mantra going into two thousand twenty for Bears. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's just see what you can do. That'd be a hell of a commercial. Bears <laughs> just, just... football. Well, let's just see what you can do.
0: It's <laughs> so we'll like like the Cubs like in like eighty three or something like that. I saw a whole commercial on YouTube. Like the Chicago Cubs, we're working on it. Oh, that's great. (laughs) That's great. Good. Thanks, Ed Lynch. We're working on it. That's great. Because that makes you get to the ballpark. Jeff Dickerson covers the Bears right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Jeff, lastly, I want to ask you your thoughts about the the rest of the NFC North and that. I know that you talked about it on your show. I talked about it on my show. Yeah, yeah, for some reason, let me just uh, bring down the curtain here. For whatever reason, Jeff and I are not doing a lot of shows together anymore. On the network side, we're on ESPN 1000, but they have separated us because of our talent, I'm told, um, but uh, hopefully that will be rectified very soon here. Nonetheless, um, I know you've talked a lot about the the Packers situation as, as have I. It's just the the big question I'm sure for a lot of Packers fans is like, why won't the Packers take care of Aaron Rodgers? Is he such a, a bad guy that they just won't give him just some key young wide receiver instead of looking for his replacement?
1: Yeah, I think, uh, I think they've taken care of Aaron Rodgers. Um, you know how much money he made in 2018, uh, with that extension he signed. Um, he made sixty-six point nine million dollars that year. Sure. So I, I think Aaron Rodgers is going to be okay. I, I just I just feel like he's going to be okay and things are going to work out and uh, they're going to they're going to be fine. I mean, yes, um, I thought the the pick was unusual in the first round, but you do have to you have to think about the future and maybe Jordan Love will be that next quarterback whenever Rodgers passes the mantle, and offensively. Um, there aren't as many weapons as I'm sure any quarterback would like. But They had a really good year last year. They were ahead of schedule, and they could regress. But, I, you know, I, I feel like if Aaron Rodgers is obsessed, um, play, but I, I, I don't really understand why he would want to trade or why the Packers want to get rid of him. This talk of him playing for the Bears. I, I just don't really understand any of it. I, I think Bears. Green Bay has found a way to make these things work. Yeah, all that.
0: Yes, uh, all of this, and we we're talking about with Green Bay and the maybe some consternation there between Rodgers and the Packers organization, and yet the Packers will still make the playoffs either way.
1: Yeah, I mean the track record would say that they're going to be pretty competitive again this year. Um, so I, I think whenever there's a whenever there's a, a high profile quarterback and another quarterback is taken in the first round, certainly you get nervous, right? But I don't look at this like this isn't. Kansas City taking Mahomes, and Alex Smith gets dealt a year later. Now, I I could be wrong, and it could work out like that. I just think with Aaron Rodgers, he plays as long as he wants to play in Green Bay because I've seen nothing but greatness from this guy, and he had another great year last year with not as many weapons as I'm sure he would prefer. So it it works out. Oh, by the way, I should mention this too. Hmm. I have a scoop for you. All right. I was told today that there will be a Dickerson and Hood show on Saturday. Did you get that email? I did not. (laughs) Now, it could be Dickerson and Hood with Dickerson and John Anderson. But there is going to be a Dickerson and Hood show Saturday from, I think, it's 3 to 7, no, 4 to 8 p.m. Central Time on ESPN Radio. I was not told this. Well, when it's me and Zubin Mahente, I'll be thinking about just <laughs> back Zach. <next>. Okay, <laughs> no, I was not aware of that, but
0: uh, this is what they're doing lately. They are spreading the wealth because Je- Jeff and I are so good together that we need to help everyone else. So that's what that's what we've been uh, been told. So uh, we, either way, the check clears. Well, Jeff, as always, <laughs> we we appreciate your time.
1: Yeah, and maybe uh, uh, maybe uh, me and uh, uh, Kenny Mayne will have you on as a guest on Saturday. Maybe okay, we'll give you a call. <laughs> well, thanks. Well,
0: I appreciate that. Thanks for the bone. <laughs> you
1: well, got there. it, buddy. Anytime. I got your back. You know that.
0: Say hello to my godson, the math- 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 mathematician. He's doing really well in that math lately on the deck.
1: Uh,
0: yeah. Jeff yeah. Dickerson, everybody, who covers the Bears <laughs> for NFL Nation on ESPN 1000. With us here as you're listening to Under the Hood.
1: This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1. 1- Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. How you doing? Follow us on the gram at Hood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports.
0: Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. So over the weekend, on Saturday, when I was teamed with Chris Carlin and uh, Kevin Connors, if you got a chance to listen to that show, we had some some fun. Had um, a number of guests on, uh, and we had a, a fun time talking about a lot of different things, um, including the Cowboys adding Annie Dalton. Uh, that story broke la- on Saturday night when I was on. But one of the things we talked about is Isaiah Thomas, and I realized how how really controversial Isaiah Thomas is as a sports figure in the city. He's from Chicago. He gives back to a lot of, um, um, uh, great. What I would consider some really, um, some great girls and boys clubs and things that, um, uh, are needed, uh, in this city because he's from here. And so he does a lot for the city, you know, as, as far as giving his time and his money to, to things of that nature, but we look at Isaiah Thomas as a heel because he played for the dreaded, hated Detroit Pistons, and so even though he's from here and he still has ties here and still does a lot of things here, it still doesn't resonate with a lot of people because of the mountain that Jordan and the Bulls had to go through, and Isaiah par- Thomas was part of that mountain trying to get over. Uh, the Detroit Pistons who try to begin uh, six titles in eight uh, years run for the Chicago Bulls. So a story that we saw over the weekend was written by Kevin Pelton from ESPN.com. He's been a, a guest here and there on this program when we thought we would add perspective from an analytics standpoint for the NBA. We've had Kevin on. He's, he's fine. He's a, he's a good writer. And so the piece that he wrote was, should Isaiah Thomas have made the dream team with Michael Jordan? Now, a lot of this cannot be, you can't fix a lot of this. I mean, this is stuff that's from the past, but it's part of the uh, Last Dance storyline. And so, my thought on Isaiah Thomas is this. Isaiah Thomas is one of the best um, guards I've ever seen play the game. That's in college in Indiana and also with Detroit with the Pistons. Only played for one team in the NBA. And so Isaiah, when you look at his numbers and you take a look at what he did in the in the league, he was a tremendous guard. And when we think about those bad boy Pistons, even if you either lived it or watched a documentary, you saw how physical the bigs were on that Pistons team. Bill Laimbeer, John Sally, Buddha Edwards, Dennis Rodman, if they had, if you had size, more than likely you were getting a piece of Michael Jordan or Scotty Pippen or some of those bulls that were coming in the painted area. And those were common fouls. That would be like ejections now in 2020. But back then, you, you, know, you, you knock somebody down with a clothesline. You punch somebody. It was just a common foul. Two shots in the ball. <laughs> That's how it was back then, right? So you can see how the game has evolved from there, right? There's some that still wish that era was around where you saw fights like like Derek Harper and JoJo English. You want to see that in the league on a regular basis? If I want to see that, that's what boxing and UFC is for. I don't necessarily need to see that in my my basketball every night. Um, There's a reason why the league is cleaned up now versus how it was back in the day. But you saw, if you've never seen it before in the documentary, how physical the game was. You didn't see Isaiah Thomas... Anywhere around those skirmishes. There's a reason. It's because he was on the team, but he wasn't fighting anybody. He was going to try to mess up that pretty face and that pretty smile. So that's why he had teammates doing that for him. So let me focus on the piece, because that's Kevin Pelton says, Zed Thomas have made the dream team. And so in the documentary, that was a a slight storyline of how Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson and others did not want Isaiah Thomas on the team. That's the bottom line. They didn't want him on the 92 Dream Team. It's unfortunate because if Isaiah Thomas was on the Dream Team, that meant the whole team was Hall of Famers. There's only one that was that Hall of Famer from that 92 Dream Team, and that was Christian Leitner. So that's how the story went. They went with Christian Leitner. They didn't want Isaiah. And so I'm going through this list, and we had Kevin on the show on Saturday night. And he says, who belonged on the dream team? Was Isaiah Thomas denied as, uh, and deserved a spot because of bad blood with Michael Jordan? And he goes to the numbers. Now, you know, Eric, I'm never one to shy away or turn a blind eye to numbers because there's two ways to look at analytics. You can ignore them or add them to your opinion based on a certain set of numbers that we hadn't thought of before, right? I mean that's what base- baseball, basketball, whatever, right right. use that as a tool for your evaluation, but not necessarily the tool. exactly. like I'm not going to go to the bar or the barbershop and talk about warp. <laughs> <laughs> just not like, it's, just, like, like, it's, it's just not a conversation that we would have if you had to, at the bar or you had a barbecue. And, of course, you know how that is, Eric. I mean, you're the one that knows the most sports in your circle of your family, right? They'll turn to you and ask you your thoughts on what's going on in modern sports. You're not talking about warp and win percentage. You're talking about thumbs up or thumbs down on a player. And same thing here with Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah Thomas was one of the best guards I've ever seen play the game. But then you take a look at the Kevin Pelton piece, and they said, My wins above replacement, the warps stats, reflects value of the 1990-91 season. And I've always listed players' career totals through that year. Win percentage, the per-minute version of warp, is a forward-looking projection based on the previous three seasons. And so he goes through the all-star appearances of Magic Johnson, John Stockton, Terry Porter, Mark Price, Kevin Johnson, and then Isaiah Thomas. He has him as a 59% win percentage, 56 warp, right? He also goes on to talk about how in 91, Thomas was already on the downslope of his career, limited to just 48 games because of a wrist injury. He averaged a career-low 16.2 points a game during the 90-91 season. Oh, just 16.2 points a game? Oh, what a bum. He's complete trash, right? So, ultimately, you watch the documentary and you kind of find out, like, the Bulls in Michael Jordan or Magic Johnson, maybe even Larry Bird, his own coach, Chuck Daly didn't want Isaiah on the team. That's as simple as that. But, but when I read this piece, it tried to make it seem like Isaiah Thomas was trash. Isaiah Thomas was not trash. You say whatever you want about him, dirty and being part of that bad boy business team. And you didn't like him. And a lot of people didn't like him or John Starks or certain villains during that time. But you cannot deny that Isaiah Thomas was not a great player. And Isaiah Thomas deserved to be on that dream team. He, and, and I'm going to, Fast forward to this, Eric, see if this tie-in makes sense. This parallel makes sense. We talk about so much petty to the point where we have a segment uh, called Petty Junction, right? We we, get the uh, locomotive going, and we talk about the pettiness in sports on a weekly basis. Every day you can find something petty in sports. How, How petty is it, right, that Michael Jordan or Magic Johnson or some of the other players on that dream team could not let it go to allow Isaiah Thomas to be on that dream team. Was that not petty? Yes, it was. Absolutely petty. So, so I mean, like, pettiness didn't start in, in like, 20, 2009, 2010, 2020. It was back in 91,
2: 92. <laughs> they wouldn't allow him to be on the team. Because they didn't want to hang out with him. They thought he'd ruin them hanging out. This is like what I've been reading these last yesterday and today. is that They just didn't want to hang out with him. They had such a good camaraderie. They thought he'd ruin it. That's it. And to your point on how good he was, MJ, who openly says he hates him, says that next to Magic, he's the best point guard to ever play the game.
0: Well, there you go. See? And so there, and there, and there it goes. So the petty did not start just with LeBron. I know people like to be able to put that in there, like the LeBron era. No, it, it started way, way back when, even, even before this. But I'm just highlighting the fact that they didn't want Isaiah because Isaiah was a bad guy. It was a bleep hole. That's, that's all it was. They didn't want him on the team. He's like Isaiah is a, a, a dirty cheap shot dude. Uh, and they didn't want him. And Isaiah only had like 10 seconds, right, to really talk about it. They only played 10 seconds of it, and he said pretty much like, uh, yeah, you know, they. Um, I had the credentials, and I just didn't make the Dream Team. It hurts him, but he was not a good guy to them, and that's why he wasn't on the Dream Team. Simple as that. All right, we'll talk more about the last dance. Eric has his, uh, his notes on what he saw last night. We will talk about that coming up on Tales from the Hood. That's next.
2: This
1: is Under the Hood. Under the Hood podcasts are available now on the all new ESPN Chicago app. Available on your device now. This is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. What do you got, there? This is your car.
0: My car? I said a 10 second car, not a 10 minute car. Pop the
1: hood. Pop the hood? Pop the hood. Tales from the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app.
2: Here
1: we go. Tales
0: from the Hood right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Jonathan Hood with you. We'll hear from former Bears wide receiver and podcaster Earl Bennett. He'll be with us at 9 o'clock. We'll talk about the Bears and Trubisky not getting that fifth year option. Interesting. So we'll talk bears with Earl coming up at nine o'clock right here on ESPN One Thousand Tales from the Hood, stories of sports, entertainment, everything else in between. How about this, Eric, as the executive producer of this show? So when do you think it'll be safe for us to go back to our silly stories? You know, we've kind of we've done we've we've done a lot of different things with with tales as of late, especially with COVID nineteen, and it's kind of like you know we we've. We haven't done this, the, the format as we normally would because we know what the stories are, right? Pretty much Yeah, it's day. it's
2: hard to find your goofy odd stories because they're all corona-based. Like, everyone's coronavirus-based. So. so when can we... When do you think it's safe? Fall? Question oh. mark? Oh, fall! I don't know. September, all
0: right. Well, <laughs> that's fine. I mean, there's always stuff. We we're we doing some different things with Tales from the Hood. It's, uh, it is a departure, but we just... Every story that we see has a,
2: you know, a Corona base. And it's kind of like, nah. I know it's, it's at this point, I don't want to make fun of all that. Let's just leave that where that is. Yeah. I mean,
0: uh, the, the, because it would just be, Hey, Jonathan, here's a story about people in Newport beach on the beach on Saturday. Exactly. And that social distancing. With <laughs> exactly. <no blanks." laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> um, so tell me, my friend, you watched the last dance. What stood out to you most about yesterday?
2: All right. The very first thing on my list is that soundtrack. The last two episodes, that hip-hop music. Woo! So
0: good. Loved all of it. So I'm asking about that on Twitter, Tweet Hood last night. And then Jen Latta from ESPN hit me on Spotify. She said the whole thing is on Spotify. They have a playlist? Yes. Awesome. 45 songs. So from Naughty by Nature Hip-Hop Array to Tribe Called Quest to... Outcast, Black Sheep, this is all in my era. This is this is me dude listening to it on a cassette. Yeah. <laughs> in my, in my Writing the Chevy. list
2: down on on the cassette. <laughs>
0: yep. Uh Party Man Prince, uh Big Pun, yeah. Mob Deep, Diddy, Boogie Down Productions, uh Beastie Boys, Daddy yeah. Big Daddy Kane. So it's on it's on
2: Spotify. I've got I've gotta get that. I'll find it. So that so awesome. the music was just tremendous. Um, so that was just right away. My, and then, all right, so it was, they were showing the, I believe it was the, it was Kobe's first year when he was 19 in the All-Star game. And then in the Eastern room is Jordan and Grant Hill and other guys. And then Larry Bird, the coach, which mm-hmm. is wild. <laughs> and then there's that scene with Bird, Magic, and MJ in the hallway. And just seeing those three guys just muck it up and just hang out and give each other stuff. Like, just that moment to me is like, man, I don't know. It's just three of the greatest right there and their conversation and their looseness. I just thought that was awesome.
0: Fast forward to 2020. You know what that's called? T- collusion tampering, tampering yeah collusion. uh-huh yeah <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> see, the, see those those guys are just friends they competitors oh god all three those are assassins right those those three my god magic johnson larry bird and Mac, and michael jordan it's crazy but they were friends they're on the dream team it's cool for them to have that conversation uh and then you mentioned larry bird as a head coach just that's kind of Larry as a coach.
2: Yeah. Like, Hands in his pocket. We're while, here.
0: While, while we're here, might as well win. Shit. Well, here we go.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Shit. <laughs> so funny. Unbelievable. Um, and now, so so same scene. I thought it was amazing how much 19-year-old Kobe had everyone's attention. That's all Jordan was thinking about. It wasn't... We're gonna, we'll see if this kid's going to make it a one-on-one game. He's like, this kid's going to make it one-on-one, me versus him. They were all focused on a 19-year-old kid joining the league. I thought that was pretty interesting.
0: Special player because when you saw Kobe, this, it wasn't like that toward the middle or to the end of his career, Eric. But in the if you listen to that, just his press conference afterwards, that him with the media, walked and sounded like Jordan. Yeah. They were just like, What is this? Like this this kid wants to be Jordan so bad, he talks like Jordan. Talks about using I never heard the phrase game of basketball until Jordan starts saying it. Then everybody starts saying it. The game of basketball. That's funny. So so if you heard go back and listen, there's Kobe talking about the game of basketball and just like he was mature beyond his years, of course. I mean he spoke um he spoke three different languages. Uh God, wait a minute, what am I See, Spanish, Italian English, Italian, mm-hmm. thank you. Yep. Spoke Italian. Um so that so <laughs> the focus was on him because that was part of that new breed of, of athlete uh during that time too. So that was to and and it's something that you, we won't see, right? We're not gonna see Jordan and LeBron on the same floor, but we did see at one point Kobe and LeBron on the floor, and we saw Michael and um Kobe on the floor together, which is great.
2: Yes it is. Um, nobody knew how to say Tony Kukoc. <laughs> <laughs> no one Kukoc, I think, is what everyone was saying. It was like four or five different ones. <laughs> like know. he was drafted. It was every like, time Kukoc, Kukoc,
0: yeah, Kukoc, Kukic. <laughs> that was that was that's. What Even Neil Kraus Funk, at
2: one point said it wrong.
0: Yeah, Neil Funk we kept calling him Kukich. Kokich <laughs> holds and locks. Michael Kukic <laughs> steps up, fires, gone. Kokich with the basket ka ka kaboom! That was great. Was, right, what do you mean, Kukich? Like, but actually, you know what, well, Eric? N- none of us knew.
2: Right. I mean, how would you know the guy? I get it. Like, how would anyone actually know? But I just now, in hindsight, I just thought like that was
0: funny. Five different pronunciations: Kukoch, Kukich, Kukoch. That's <laughs> like, great. Kuko. I, I think Bar- Barkley Gum
2: Kuko. Yeah, they had no idea. But I, I, love how they just put it to. I've heard that story before on how they had disdain for him, and how they. It was just Jordan and Pippen taking turns locking him down full court. Now we talk about pettiness again, right?
0: Yep. There you go. But but see, Krause was. But also, the story illustrates Krause was like three or four years ahead of what was happening in front of you. Think about this. Think about this. Eric, you're a millionaire, and the million and in the millions and the money that's in front of you, right? you have it to spend right now or you have it to save or whatever you want to do with it, but you're concerned with five years down the line when you don't have it, like all of a sudden you just know you're not going to have it, so you're preparing for when you don't have it. well, wait, you should be focused on how you can be able to invest or save or do something with the money you have now. The money was the championships, and Krauss was willing to throw all that money away, all that championships, all that prestige away to start over with nothing he'd rather be a, po- a uh, this is like broke with tim floyd and kukic instead of being able to focus on the championships how, how ridiculous is that
2: well they were like this is my next point they were taking the shine off across i have the quote right here
0: the one thing i would say and i'd say it from jerry reinsdorf on down this is a great organization this organization is special from Jerry, Jerry, it starts with Jerry and it goes down all the way to Joe Lee, our my, my clubhouse guy who's been here 25 years. It's an organization thing and that's what it's all about. The team is a great team, but the organization is one of the all-time great, if not the greatest organization ever. That's what I'm so much proud of.
2: Can't mention a single player. He needs all the credit. He needs it. <sighs> yeah, I know. That was such a bad look. I know, just... And he's not wrong. He was a terrific GM. He was like he put together some real stuff, but his need for recognition just shines through in this whole thing. Just like,
0: well, maybe because the players didn't give him the love. Reinsdorf gave him the love. The front office gave him the love, but he just never felt like he got his credit. And it's like. There was columnists, certain columnists that gave Krause credit. Now, there were some swings and misses from Krause, especially post-Jordan. Of course, that's going to happen, right? You're, right. You can't replace Jordan. But just, you know, he's right in a sense, Eric, right? Isn't Krause right in a sense like the organization is class? Okay, cool. Well, it's, it's class except you.
2: <laughs> right. There, He's the exception. <laughs> yes, exactly.
0: It's like, because class would be... Man, I'm so happy for these players. I'm happy for our organization from top to bottom, man. We have really been able to put something special together. I'm just happy for everybody, right? No, didn't say you're happy for everybody. Yeah, yeah, The organization is ambiguous, right? It just, the organization is, it, it, you should be able to mention players or the players or the coaching staff. But he just kind of just made it in broad terms the organization. And it's kind of like, you know, that's not how normally is done in basketball.
2: No, it was very odd. Odd to hear that. Um uh Marv Albert his wig game has gotten better. Cuz in every game that they show him he's got a different toupee on and they're trash. It's gotten better now. It's gotten better.
0: <laughs> that I mean, I mean that that thing there, man, was just it, it was just it looks like some of, my, some of my aunt used to wear back in the day, like the big bouffant <laughs> yes, from the old exactly. pictures back in the day. Just like <laughs> it got bigger and bigger, just like dude, man, just and so now it's more modern. It's brown now in twenty twenty. It's it's a little bit lower down, a little lower
2: cropped. It's the know. same. He's not switching between series, <laughs> right? As well,
0: it's, it just. I mean, it just it thing. It was just humongous. I understand it's it's the nineties, but that could have been a little better. You know, a lot better, actually. It was
2: brutal. Uh, my wife chimes in. She says, F. Krause. She does not like oh, him. Oh, well, there it is. <laughs> she does not like him because of his document. She knows nothing about him other than the doc. So. <laughs> See? She,
0: she's she's, uh, she's right along with Bulls fans of the 90s. Felt yes. the same way. Yes.
2: Um, one other thing is I didn't – this is something I had no idea of. Hmm. Jordan's existence by 92, 93 – He's a pretty lonely existence. He goes from hotel to practice to hotel, from hotel to game to hotel. Like, he can't go out. And it was showed when he was laying on that couch, drinking that orange juice, smoking his cigar, talking about how he just can't be a person anymore.
0: It, I think it just it finally sunk in when you are at the top of your game. You know, as I talked about earlier in the show, Eric, it's like he was my guy. Then he became everybody's guy. Right. You know, in eighty, and as a kid in like 86, 87, you're like, wow, that's my guy. But he hadn't gotten on to the, to the major scene yet. And now he's the universe's guy. And it's like, ah. So now everyone's pulling and tugging at him. And it can be exhausting, that's for sure. But this is the price that you pay for being great, right? And so, and so there was no social media from the chill with. That's why he had, you know, drinks and cigars and TV for him to just chill out. I, I think... It's interesting for him to talk about quitting on that couch, right? Right. Feeling like, yeah, this is probably going to be it. I, you know, that's an interesting time for him to say that because he ends up being a wizard. So yeah. <laughs> he, he actually didn't miss being on – he must have missed being on the road just for a little bit for him to go back to the, go to the Wizards, right? And so that that was interesting.
2: And just seeing how when all that gambling stuff came out and the media and the attention and his lack of privacy, I think anyone who says if he wouldn't have left, they would have won eight straight is crazy. I don't think so. I think he's he, he burnt out. I think if he didn't burn out then, he would have burnt out a couple years later.
0: Yeah, someone else had to be. I mean, Pippin and Grant, or Pippin and and Rodman and those other guys. They picked up the slack. But um, the 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 series that the Bulls were supposed to lose um, was that series against Phoenix. That was the most talented team the Bulls played in that era, Eric. It's not. I'm not. Doing a sports radio hyperbole thing for I'm being for real like mm-hmm. just in the documentary only gives you a glimpse but Charles Barkley was at such the top of his game and that team was so good I was I thought the Bulls were going to lose that series because Barkley was just that good it wasn't based on commercials it's based on watching those games or watching Barkley and just like Well, that team's good even as powerful as Jordan was and everything that Jordan was going through I thought. If anyone's going to beat the Bulls, it's going to be the Suns. And even the Suns didn't do it. And so I never felt that way for Portland. Didn't feel that way for, like, Sonics, Jazz. I didn't think about those teams. But that Suns team, I really thought that that was going to be Suns win the championship and there would be a battle between those two teams, kind of like Cleveland-Golden State from years ago. I thought we were going to see that, and that that never materialized because, once again, Jordan and the Bulls did it um, in less than seven games.
2: And Jordan just pulls things to like make him like the Dan Marley stuff, how Kraus liked Marley. So Jordan made it his point to show that Marley is not good, which is Marley's good. I actually went back. I watched game four of that series, the one after the triple overtime last week. And in the second quarter, he just he scored 25 in the quarter. He was working Dan Marley, just couldn't keep him in front of him at all. And, it was, and now after watching the doc, now it's like, oh, it's because he was making a point.
0: I just want you to just think about this in the modern day, Eric. Just think about it just for a second. Imagine a general manager of any team in the NBA just like, you know what, I like these set of players on a different team.
2: Just right, think, this guy's think... a great defender. Like...
0: <laughs> just, I want you to just think about that for a second. How would that work today? Um, you know, t- take take like, like you know Lacob or somebody from Golden State, just like you know what I really like James Harden's game <laughs> offensively. <Yes. laughs> what? What? Right? Exactly. Like, how would how would that work today? That that would not work. You know, Elton Brand from the Sixers is just like you know what Embiid's good, but boy, I tell you what, that LeBron in Los Angeles, he's the best. You know, just or just or just you know, I like Kevin Durant better in the in the East, right? Kevin Durant is just the sort of best. I mean, I mean, listen, nothing against Ben Simmons and our guys, but boy, I
2: tell you what, that KD is the best defender. I mean, that wouldn't work today. Right, the things that Krause made public, to me, is wild. It just wouldn't fly now. <laughs> like, it's okay for other athletes to, like, talk about other athletes, like LeBron and Wade will talk each other up. But for GMs to just put that stuff out there, again, that would be collusion, right? Yes, yes,
0: <laughs> there's your difference. Danny Ainge... Charles Barkley, Cedric Soballos, Kevin Chambers. Johnson, KJ was one of my favorite mm-hmm. guards. I really liked him. Um, that was a
2: fun. So after Mar- he, after Jordan was killing Marley, they switched KJ onto him because he's quicker, and Jordan couldn't get by him with the first step. So he just started posting him up and turn around, turn around, turn around. They could not stop him in that game. It's crazy. Uh huh. Um, left-handed
0: magic they called Kukoc back in the day. I, I put that down. Uh, I, <laughs> oh, okay. he, he was never left-handed magic. Uh, <laughs> no, Google, Google that's right.
2: A, I did hear that. Yeah, he's no. a nice
0: player. He's good. I mean,
2: he would be. He would translate so well to today's game. Oh my god! Six ten handle shoot. Like he would translate so well to today's game.
0: Oh my god, he all. He'd be a perennial all-star. Yeah, he would. Um, left-handed magic. (laughs) It's so funny. That's what they were saying. I remember reading that in the papers back then. Like, oh, this is going to be us. And then you see him in that first Olympic game. You're like, this guy's trash. um, Because he was locked down by Jordan and Pippen. But then he got better in that second game. He was better. Um, Oh, Just real quick. Let me just point it out. I don't know why the documentary made this a thing. I'm just going by my memory, Eric. Clyde Drexler was never considered on Michael Jordan's level. When I, was going, when I was watching the Bulls. I don't know why that was a story. Like, you know, Michael wanted, told Magic Johnson over cards, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to smash Clyde Drexler. I'm like, Clyde's just a nice player for Portland. He's very nice. But, but not to the point where people thought, you know what, Clyde's better than Michael. So I
2: went and found some quotes, and Clyde was saying those things. He Clyde was said? saying that he was at the same level as Michael. He was saying those things at that time. And then if you look at his season after this, I think Michael ruined him. He went from averaging 25 to averaging 18. He's, I never read. I never read. Yeah, I found him, him uh, last night when I was just messing around. Yeah, he he was out there saying those things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't, I, I, don't piss that man off. <laughs> I never read that.
0: Yeah, I never thought. And I never thought that. That was never in my circle. I never thought that Clyde was in the same stratosphere as Michael at all. He was a great player, but never, never on that uh, level of things. And let's see, one other. Th- oh, so here's a question for you: Is there anybody in the NBA today, Eric, that you think could draw sixty thousand people in a dome? Any NBA player, any NBA team, could draw sixty thousand in a in a dome, like the, like the, like Jordan drew. Sixty thousand at the Georgia Dome in Atlanta. You remember that,
2: right? That, which did they play in the Georgia Dome a lot, or was that That as a special? Okay, I saw that. It, I'm like, what? Is, why? Um, it, my it, only it, thing that is a draw in this league now is, and this is, it wouldn't draw and fill up a football stadium, but it's Steph Curry's pregame. People come to the games three hours early to watch Steph Jack's shots up. Yeah, that's the only thing that would even come close. I would think, I, even and with that, LeBron.
0: Even with LeBron and the Golden State Warriors, when they're healthy in the league, I don't think anybody can draw 60,000 people in a dome. Like, and they did it for Jordan because it was Jordan's last time in Atlanta. And it was, it, his, his last time in Atlanta was too – the Omni was been too small. He couldn't have it at the Omni. I mean, it would have sold out, but having 60,000 full, that's pretty strong. Um, as I, as I wrote that, that big crowd in Atlanta is 12 home games total for the state farm center, at Atlanta Hawks. Now, yeah, <laughs> so, seriously, 60,000 for one game <laughs> in the NBA. It's crazy. Um, yeah. So, oh, by the way, uh, <laughs> I love when they go local with the Chicago tonight stuff, man. You, you see some faces that you Saw George
2: remember? Hoffman on there. Yep.
0: Did you see my giddy aunt? I don't know who that is. Mike Mulligan? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I didn't <laughs> notice. Oh, my giddy aunt! <laughs> ah, 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 ah. Time for traffic! Fantastic. Ah, ah, ah. You, see, you, see, you see Mulligan there, <laughs> right next to George Offman with the moustachioed George Offman? Good to see my giddy aunt there, right next to him there on the Chicago Tine. I love that. Those old sets there. Yeah, you had a Terry Bores in a mustard jacket earlier. Yep, yep. It's <laughs> <This is> unbelievable. <laughs> and that's Tales from the Hood right here on ESPN 1000, the brand-new ESPN Chicago
1: app. We'll talk more about the Bears and Trubisky and more with former Bears wide receiver Earl Bennett. That's next.